Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Medicine Path Podcast. I'm your host, Brian James. In this episode, I speak with artist, herbalist, and astrologer Debbie Stapleton. As some of you know, Debbie and I have been married for the past 11 plus years, and if you're a regular listener of the podcast, you know how much I appreciate her and just how important our relationship has been in my recovery and my growth on every level. So for the final episode of the year, I thought it would be really fun to interview Debbie about her journey becoming a professional astrologer and to get her take on what we can expect in 2019 from an astrological perspective. She also helps me understand some key aspects of astrology like sun signs and rising signs and through that ends up giving me a bit of a mini astrology reading which was really fun and illuminating for me and I think will give you, the listener, an idea of what a consultation with a professional astrologer is like and what kind of insights and inspiration you can gain from a deeper dive with someone like Debbie, who's been studying astrology for so many years and is so good at making these complex and symbolic cosmic connections understandable and relevant to everyday life. Trust me, I can be pretty cynical about most New Age type stuff, And if she can help me to understand it and find the relevance in it, then I think there's really something of value in it for anyone. But before we get to that, I just want to send a heartfelt thank you to all my loyal patrons and a special shout out to my newest patron at the heart chakra level, Eric. At the $75 level, patrons get access to all the practice resources I've created, plus a one-to-one call with me every month where we can focus on developing a therapeutic home yoga practice, learning some simple tools for self-care and resilience, 
doing some coaching to work through any personal issues you're dealing with, or doing some plant medicine preparation and integration work. So if you're interested in becoming a patron at any level, please go to patreon.com forward slash Brian James Teaching, where you can make a monthly contribution starting at just $2 a month. Every little bit helps. And you know, I'd really love to keep this podcast independent and self-sufficient, and I can really only do that through your support. As I mentioned, this will be the last episode of 2018. I'll be heading to the Amazon next week, and I'm sure when I get back, I'll be full of inspiration and ideas for new episodes. I've already got some lined up in January that I'm really excited about. And if you have any requests for future podcasts, please let me know. You can contact me through my websites, artofyoga.ca, or the website for the podcast, medicinepathpodcast.com. Okay, that's all for now. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy this intimate and informative conversation with artist and astrologer Debbie Stapleton on The Medicine Path. Okay, so here we are. Um, recording our first podcast together and my last podcast for 2018. Wow. And uh, I've been thinking about doing this for a while. Over the years, we, we've had many conversations sitting on the kitchen floor talking about yoga and life and astrology and all kinds of things like that. And uh, I always thought it'd be fun to record one of those conversations because we get into some pretty interesting topics. Um, so I guess this is something like that, although we're not on the kitchen floor. We're in the yoga and music room. Yeah, it's more comfortable. <laughs> it's a little more comfortable. <laughs> although so. I must say that when um, the conversation is really uh, rich and deep and at least I know when I'm in the moment I almost don't really know where it is I'm sitting but this mm-hmm. is definitely more deluxe yeah and you get up three hours later and your leg is asleep and <laughs> <laughs> so you hobble hobble off and clean the dishes or something okay well let's uh let's jump into it I've got some questions for you all right, questions about astrology. Well, let's start with you. Um, oh, okay. We've known each other for quite a while, I think something like 15 years. Yeah. You're better at dates than I am, so you can probably tell me exactly when we met. Yeah, it was in uh, 2003. Yeah, so just over 15 years. Mm-hmm. And so in that time... Uh, you've always been into astrology, uh, but in the past couple of years, you've gotten a little more serious about it. Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering when you first got interested in astrology. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting when I think back on that, um, because I do remember being very young, being a little kid, and always being into planets and stars and... You know, then as a young teenager, I was really into like 
the sci-fi genre and technology and outer space. So junior high, high school, um, astronomy, I think, was like my favorite science uh, topic. It was the most interesting, the most evocative. And I remember actually having uh, frustration monitoring uh, the development of space uh, technology and calculating my lifespan and thinking, oh, no, we're not going to get <laughs> space probably in my lifetime, at least in the way that the sci-fi movies depicted it. So maybe I'm rambling a bit here, but yeah, I do remember being, um, I think I was like 11 or 12. I had been into, you know, astronomy and I stumbled on a little book in the library totally by accident. I picked it up because I thought it was an astronomy book and it was astrology and it had these kind of cool 70s illustrations in it of all these different like people, um, different people, the way that they would look if they had a certain sun sign or zodiac sign. It's like, what's this zodiac? Like the the physical constitution of the person based on their zodiac sign? Yeah, yeah. I really wish I could remember what this uh, book was, but like well, who wrote it? Yeah, just a moment. So... Okay, astrology, mm. I know the the second half of that word comes from logic. So mm. I think it means the study of astro. Does that mean the stars or the cosmos? Um, yeah, like from what I can understand, I think it's just like the logic or the study of the stars. So what's the difference between astrology and astronomy? Mm. I would think that... Astronomy is more kind of like the modern scientific understanding of observing, um, you know, the the orbit and the constitution, um, chemical constituents maybe of planets. Um, definitely it's like tracking and tracing like planetary behavior from like a mathematical understanding um, that's uncoupled with the older practice of doing very much the same thing. I mean, as astrologers since the beginning of time had a very sophisticated mathematical understanding of the movement of the planets, but coupled with that was um, like a worldview or a pre-understanding that there was something spiritual or something godlike about these lights in the sky. So they would be studying them with this, you know, really advanced mathematical observation, um, noticing that when the planets were in certain positions, there seemed to be parallels of events um, happening on our, on Earth. And this had some bigger picture spiritual implications. Um, but astronomy is like thinking about it in that kind of just purely fact-based, like what can we observe, what can we see, what can we prove, I think. Right, without making that interp interpolation that there's a, a relationship there between us personally here on Earth and the stars. It's more just a detached observation of the cosmos. Yeah. Maybe. Okay, so little sidebar. Mm -hmm. And so you found this book mm -hmm. that uh, was about astrology mm -hmm. and so what lit you up about that well I think 
you know, I maybe wouldn't have been able to articulate it this way then, but looking back, I think what I wanted to have was some connection to or relationship with um, these planets. Like I remember signing the telescope out at school from the science department because I wanted a closer look. I wanted to know what was on the surface. I wanted to know what they were like. I noticed that their light was different, like Saturn and Mars had a dusky, muted kind of light tone. Venus and Jupiter, you know, they were much brighter. Um, So they seemed to kind of have personalities, and I think I kind of anthropomorphized them in a way right from the beginning, not really knowing that there was a whole tradition uh, behind that, that they had these characters, that there were these these places that I would imagine that you could go and they would all have a different kind of quality. So when you, well, when you were a kid, did you have a telescope or something? Because I signed it out from school. It was part of the audiovisual stuff that you could like sign out for projects. So in your grade school, did you Mm -hmm. have an astronomy class? I had science and I remember astronomy being like a, like a unit or two that we had to do. So I don't remember any of that. I don't Mm. remember learning about astronomy in school at all. Mm. Okay, so you had like an introduction in grade school. Mm -hmm. And you could, like, I remember I could sign out a tape recorder from the AV department. (laughs) (laughs) So you signed out a telescope. Telescope. And like a big telescope? Oh, well, I mean, I was a pretty little person, so it seemed pretty big relative to my, like, height and arm span it was kind of like it had this round spherical red kind of base and then this kind of um you know cylinder that kind of came out the other side and then it would stand on this like stand on the round spherical part and then um so it looked different than that typical like telescope extending telescope it wasn't an extending telescope no but it had this like little then there was kind of like this eyepiece on top that you had to look down and through like a microscope type eyepiece yeah from what i remember wow i don't know if i've ever seen a telescope like that it's pretty it was pretty cool i mean i'm picturing (laughs) it like it's like um one of those uh observation globe things that uh you see up on hilltops sometimes like it's, it's round and then the big a, lens comes out one side yeah. although in those you're inside looking through an eyepiece and this right. is like a maybe a small version of that yeah i would say it was like a mini All right, version. just setting the stage so there's little <laughs> debbie and then how did you get this thing home oh god i don't know i think i must have just carried it home on the bus okay so that you've got this giant Telescope under your arm. You're about four <laughs> feet tall. Very determined. <laughs> I remember when he said you could sign it out for the weekend, and my hand shot up because I was like, "I want it first, and I don't want to wait." So, what was that first weekend like when you're peering through the telescope? I remember that it was winter. I don't remember the date exactly. Um, it was pretty like cold. I remember I could see my breath. There was like this little hill that I went on top of um, near this like cul-de-sac where I lived. And I took the little telescope up, I set it up, and the first thing I wanted to look at was the moon. I wanted to see the craters and the features of the moon like up close because I thought that was super fascinating. And I remember um, the teacher telling us that it's best to look at the moon when it's not totally full 
because when it's totally full, it's getting the biggest blast of light from the sun and it kind of washes out the features. So it's better to actually look at the moon and uh, telescope when it's kind of like a, like a half moon, like, or something like this because there was more like shadow cast across the features of the surface so this is interesting when I reflect on this story that one of the first things I wanted to see was the moon up close just to jump ahead a little bit to astrology um, in my astrology chart my rising sign which we'll talk more about I think when we actually get into the astrology is the sign cancer and its planetary rulership is the moon so I just think that's funny that my first um, yearning, uh, which which planet I wanted to like connect with first, was the planet that would be said to be like the, <clears throat> pardon me, like the ruler of my chart. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense because it's the closest planet to us. Yeah. It's the one that we can see the best with our naked eye. Yeah, you can see all and kinds of cool stuff on it. Yeah, there's all these stories about the moon too. We learn nursery rhymes where... The cow jumps over the moon, and there's the man in the moon, and there's the moon made of cheese, and this is like the thing that the kid <laughs> wants to find out. Is like, yeah, can yeah. I look through the telescope and see if it's actually made of cheese or something? Okay, yeah. so that first weekend, you set up your telescope, mm-hmm. and you get your first good look at the moon. Yeah. What's that like? It was amazing. It looked like I could touch it, and that was really exciting. And, and what are you, like, out there... Freezing your butt off looking at the moon all night? I guess so. I don't remember being uh, cold again. I think I was pretty absorbed in my activity. I think I remember um, there was something about Mars and its position that time of year, um, that it was especially close, and you could see it. It was like this really cool, like distinctive red ball in the sky. Um, I think I could really just teen, like tiny, tiny faint. If I really strained, I could see like the rings on Saturn. Um, you know, this is like, uh, from what I remember. Hmm. <laughs> okay. So you're into the planets and then yeah. you're poking around in the library yeah. As we did before the internet. Yeah, right. You go, uh, you go surfing <laughs> the library shelves. Uh-huh. Uh, you'd find like the sweet spot in the Dewey Decimal System where your interests lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you remember the Dewey Decimal numbers for mm. astronomy and astrology? They must no. have been like right next to each other. Probably. And so you stumble across what you thought was an astronomy book, but it's an astrology book. Yeah. And then, so what happens after that? Well, it just, this light went on because the little book was describing that um, people, when they're born at a certain time of the year, they have what's called a sun sign. And that sign, there was like 12 of them. It divided up the year into 12 um, 30-day sections. And then depending on what section of the year you were born in, you were going to have certain... Um, tendencies or certain characteristics that um, we're going to present in your life. So, and then it would talk a little bit about the the planetary ruler that was connected to that. So, of course, I jumped straight to my sign, <laughs> Capricorn. As we do, we're so right. self interested, right? Well, first things first. What does it mean for me? <laughs> right. So I knew my birth date, so I checked out Capricorn, and there was this very like. Um, 
sort of serious little illustration of this person with a bit of a stern, concentrated face and um, sort of brownish hair wearing some green sweater. <laughs> and I was like, oh, So it was that's giving me. you like a, a sample <laughs> yeah, of what of each this... sign might look like? Yeah, or yeah. <laughs> just some symbolic <laughs> representation of the kind of person? That... Right. That's, I've never seen that before, yeah. so that's interesting. So you look at this drab little person. Little serious person. I didn't. Go, Wait a minute, that's not me. <laughs> I didn't know that I fully identified with all of the qualities, um, but there were definitely some um, qualities in there that I recognized. There was some recognition, and I just remember being so excited about this idea that who you are as a person has some relationship and some connection to uh, the planets. So I think that's what really lit up for me was that I was trying to see the planets closer. I was trying to kind of understand their qualities. And then hearing through my my own like personhood, I could sort of be living out planetary qualities and therefore anyone else could. So it was sort of a way of bringing the planets down out of reach from the heavens into, um, on earth, into my life, into my actual, like, um, body, the way I thought and the way I approached the world. And that was a very exciting idea. And ever since then, um, I think that it completely, um, yeah, it really took a hold of me. And I think I've been seeing the world that way ever since. Well, you know what I find interesting is that you started out talking about how by watching science fiction and fantasy movies and probably reading books too, you had this uh, fantasy or longing to go to the planets. Mm. And what you ended up discovering was that you could bring the planets down and into your life. Yeah. So Elon Musk hasn't made it possible for us all to go uh, on tours of the stars yet. (laughs) but you found something that allowed you to bring the the planets and the stars down and uh, to be in relationship with them, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So then this continues for years as a hobby, um, and you're, what, reading about it? Are you doing charts for people? Well, I think that while I was a young adolescent and a young teenager, I was probably like reading about the horoscopes through the paper. I can't remember quite clearly if I found any more astrology books after that, but I do remember um, by the time I went to uh, college and university um, to take my fine arts diploma, I was a painting major, and I remember that astrology was quite active in my, my view and my engagement at that time. I remember I had found um, some new age bookstores Oh, yeah, I forgot that um, while I was in high school, I had a part-time job working at a bookstore. And definitely, yeah, there was um, there were astrology books there that I would sit in the aisle and read. And then, yes, so then I get to college. It's still really woven into my view. I remember actually doing, like, little um, impromptu readings for my friends in school. Like, people would talk about astrology vaguely, and I'd be like, oh, no, 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 I remember I... I had enough information to kind of like uh, correct people or clarify uh, conversations about astrology and I could tell them a little bit about themselves based on 
what I knew when their birthday was. And then I remember one of my painting projects was a whole sort of um, impressionistic or maybe abstract expressionistic kind of um, series of portraits of planets. And I have a lot of these um, paintings in slide form stored away somewhere. I don't think I have those canvases anymore, but... um, yeah, again, there was this whole idea of, like, what does the planet looks, look like? Like, what color does it have? What texture does it have? What mood does it have? And I was really um, into painting painting the planets. So seeds of kind of, like, what I'm doing right now, That's that was there quite a long time ago, like mm. maybe, like, over 20 years ago. Okay, so for that whole time, it's it's a hobby of yours and an interest. Yeah. Yep. But I remember distinctly um, a couple of years ago, you started to, I don't know, the books came out more. It seemed like there's a there was a rekindled interest in the study of it. Yeah. Do you remember what brought that about? I'll have to think about that because there were, like while I was in university, I was doing the paintings. I remember I acquired a lot more uh, astrology books. I was... Uh, trying to learn how to do chart drawings myself because I didn't have a computer, I didn't have like astrology software. That was seemed like a really rare thing to have back then. Um, so there were several years there where I, it was always just a side hobby that I was dipping into. And then I remember actually getting rid of all of my books and trying to distance myself from astrology because it was so, I would get so immersed in it and I would just sort of see the world through this uh, filter. So I just thought I wanted to try not looking at the world that way anymore. And I don't actually remember exactly what that was all about. I think I started to get a little worried that it was too fatalistic or something. And I started to get a little spooked and I started to distance myself from it. And then in the early 2000s, there were a lot of, um, I started to get online and there were these like really good astrology websites that started popping up where you could um, um, create charts and there was a lot more to read. And then again, it was kind of always in the background after work, I'd be going to the computer, playing around with the astrology stuff. The books were starting to come back. Um, but this you know, it was this on again, off again kind of thing. I'd really get into it, I'd push it away, I'd really get into it, push it away. But I think the period that you're talking about was during a time when I think I had distanced myself from astrology, I got into my own yoga inquiry, learning how to practice, learning how to teach. I got really interested in Ayurveda. Um, Ayurveda to understand like nutrition, the constitution, uh, as it was known as the sister science to yoga. So just through yoga training, I got um, into Ayurveda. And then when I started to learn more about Ayurveda, I came up against astrology again and seeing like how, um, you know, Ayurveda worked hand in hand with astrology because astrology was the chart reference that you would read to understand someone's constitution and understand someone's life and then you would know how from there to prescribe um, nutrition, maybe remedial practices to uh, soothe or balance some difficult sort of placements in one's astrology chart that could be indicative of difficulties in their life. And then 
I started to see that, wow, astrology is at the heart of this thing that I um, thought that I really wanted to um, make my life purpose, but then the lens focused back on astrology then. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, you know, I've never been to India, but in reading uh, books by Desikachar about his relationship with his father, Krishnamacharya, mm-hmm. who was also his teacher, and Krishnamacharya was a was a great scholar. He had the equivalent of six PhDs in the six different Indian philosophical systems. <laughs> wow. He was a musician and poet, yeah. uh, and also a very serious yoga practitioner and mm-hmm. also a Brahmin, so he knew all the Vedic rituals and everything. So very much like a Renaissance man. And I was rereading uh, one of the books that Deskachar wrote about his father, kind of like the personal history biography, and he relates a story about Krishnamacharya and astrology, which I thought was really interesting. So I didn't really know that astrology was such a huge part of the Indian culture, but Deskachar says that that it is, mm-hmm. and that his father was even an expert in it and kind of had this intuitive knowledge mm. where he, he recounts a story where, um, I can't remember what it is exactly, but it's someone, I think, uh, talking about someone and saying that they're a Leo. Yeah. And Krishnamacharya looks at the person, doesn't know anything about their birth date or a place of birth or any of that stuff, but he says, no, that's incorrect. He's not a Leo. Mm. And the story goes that the man went back and rechecked his birth records and found out that uh, Krishnamacharya was right. Was right, In yeah. this kind of, um, I don't know, intuitive reading of the person. And like you said, probably looking at his bodily constitution and maybe even aspects of his personality and was able to uh, pinpoint his his uh, zodiac sign or mm-hmm. sun sign. Mm-hmm. So that's really interesting. So, yeah, I guess astrology is a big part of it. And, um, okay, so you rekindle your interest in astrology yeah. now through this different avenue of yoga and Ayurveda. Right. And um, you decided to go and get an accreditation mm-hmm. from... Uh, I think what both an American institution and a Canadian one, and so yeah. this this triggered this whole period of uh, deepening your study. And oh yeah, more books came out, mm-hmm. and your, your nose was buried of, um, in the books for quite a while. So, what was the thing that um, spurred you on to then go deeper and to actually get accredited as an astrologer? Well, I'm going to back up a couple of steps, and I'll make sure that I don't. Um wander on the the details about this too much, but um, rediscovering, you know, astrology at the heart of these um, arts that I had really come to be interested in rekindled my interest in astrology. So there was a time when I was actually reading and learning about Vedic astrology, like learning about Indian uh, astrology. And it's called Jyotish. Jyotish. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. like the science of light or the study of light. And then that was really cool. And then there was a shift because we were living on Vancouver Island. I was really into health and nutrition and the body. And then, of course, astrology was now relinked back into this, holding it all together. 
And I started to think a lot about um, wanting to practice like some kind of like herbalism or holistic medicine, but have it relate more to my own uh, cultural heritage and also my own ecology that I was living in. So I started to kind of think like, okay, like if I'm going to be like understanding that Ayurvedic principles has given me a really great kind of like elemental framework to sort of sort constitutions and herbal qualities, etc. But I want to know, is there some equivalent in my European heritage of astrology and, and, and medicine uh, together? So um, I was learning about local Western herbalism um, on the island and then I started to look into Western astrology again. And I did find out that there is this Western uh, tradition of bringing herbal medicine and Western astrology together. So just in the interest of wanting to feel like I was more in phase with um, my cultural heritage and also being able to speak and learn in like my own language, um, it took down a lot of barriers uh, to being able to understand um, all of those topics and, and remember all of the, the terms and the facts and bring all that together. So then I was feeling kind of like uh, a little uncertain about how to move forward. We were going to the about to be moving away. I got a Vedic astrology reading with um, this guy in the States named James Kelleher, and he's a really great, like, Vedic astrologer. He gave me the whole rundown of my chart. He kept saying something about, like, um, having some healing profession, but being next, almost like a next to someone at their bedside and, like, talking to people one-on-one, almost like a psychologist or a counselor. And it was all kind of swirling around and... Um, in my mind, and then I started to kind of picture, like, what does an astrologer's day look like? Like, what kind of practice would that be? And then, I don't know, it was just like that apple fell on my head moment where I was just like, wait a minute. <laughs> I think this has been right under my nose for over 20 years. I have been active in interfacing with the stars, understanding the relationship between the stars and people and plants, and... I think I want to learn a little bit more about how to actually do this as a life's work. Even I had been doing it all this time, but I never put it out into the fore and never took it like more seriously. I never really visualized what that could look like professionally. Yeah, making it a vocation. Yeah. So then we get here to Montreal. Um, I made some new uh, friends and... Um, and that really catalyzed my interest. I started listening to podcasts and everything just ramped up from there. I started learning about the different like accrediting bodies and institutions. There was a huge um, astrology conference coming up, uh, UAC, the United Astrologers Conference uh, 2018 that only happens every four to five years. And everything, it like, really felt like the stars were aligning. The stars were aligning. They really say. were aligning. <laughs> okay, so you you did you got accredited, yeah, and you've started to do professional consultations with people, yeah, and that's been going really well. Mm-hmm. It's been great. And I just I'm curious about what it's like to be an a professional astrologer, and the the things that I'm kind of interested in are the relationship between you and your clients. Mm. Um, you mentioned that when you got 
the Vedic astrology reading, he was painting a picture of some kind of counseling type profession. Mm -hmm. And immediately I think about you as a hairdresser. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I've always kind of joked that you're the world's (laughs) cheapest psychotherapist because everybody sits in your chair and they start to unload their life story on you. Yeah. And so you've developed these really good listening skills. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think you just have this quality of what we call in therapy... Uh, unconditional positive regard or uh, a loving kindness, what we call in Hakomi. Mm. So just this um, this attitude toward the client mm. that helps them feel safe and secure and accepted, mm-hmm. and it opens them right up. Like yeah. they just pour everything out to you. <laughs> and so you've already kind of been doing this work yeah. for a while, but now you're doing it in, with the framework of astrology. Yeah. You see a lot of those skills carrying over into the work that you're doing with people uh, in the astrology readings? Yeah, 100%. And that's great that you brought it up because that's actually a really huge puzzle piece in how all of this is developed. I remember, you know, I've been um, doing hairdressing because this has been like a really creative and, and people-oriented job that's, you know, been really good to me. So while I was at home studying astrology, figuring out how all of it worked, then I would go to work and be in these conversations with people. And then I would start to kind of be picking up on keywords that they were saying, ways that they were sort of things that they were identifying with, like patterns I would sort of notice in their life. And then I started to notice um, that I was able to kind of like get a sense of what their astrology sign may have been. And I started to actually see in these like one-on-one conversations I was having with people about all sorts of other things. I was starting to actually see all the astrological principles I was learning about playing out in real time, in real life, in real people. So inadvertently, I feel like I was doing a lot of interpersonal practice, um, listening, consulting, interpreting, and observing. And it's uniquely prepared me for this profession. And it's been many, many years of the two things kind of working uh, in tandem. So Mm -hmm. it has uniquely prepared me for this. So now that you're accredited, um, you know, I'm always interested in the client therapist or client counselor or student teacher relationship. Mm -hmm. And so you're accredited now. And I'm just wondering if those... um, uh, what do you call it, the regulatory bodies, mm-hmm. I guess, that you're associated with now and you've been approved by, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. did they have a set of ethical standards governing that relationship with your clients? Yeah, they do. Um, the The one um, group, ESAR, uh, the International Society of Astrological Research, um, this is the group that had all of the testing and course modules that I had to take to complete my certification at the conference. So that was a huge impetus to go to that um, UAC conference that I mentioned. Um, so on this topic, like the reason why I wanted to get certified is because of this. I would see that in these uh, certification requirements that there was a mandatory study of ethics in astrological practice and also consulting skills. 
So Esar offers this. Um, and yeah, so that's actually like just to back up a bit, the reason why I wanted to get a certification, because there's a lot of debate about it, especially right now in the astrological community, like whether someone should be certified or not. And really, it's just like, um, do you have a yoga alliance paper to be a, a yoga teacher or do you have 30 years of practical experience? I mean, you know, these there's parallels in the astrological world. Um, well, I think there's a distinct difference, actually, because... Mm. Yoga Alliance accreditation. Am I saying that right, by the way? Accreditation? I think so. I don't say that word too often. <laughs> um, so to get <laughs> certified, let's say, uh, by the Yoga Alliance, you only have to pay for a course and complete the course. Yeah. And um, most courses don't test the applicants. Oh, okay. You, you know, I think if you show up, and your attendance is good for that course. You like might through ha- a school that's affiliated. Through a school, and you might have to... I remember, I, th- I think I wrote uh, an essay at the end on maybe a couple of yoga sutras, mm. and I led a sample class through a few postures. Mm. It wasn't a very rigorous testing. It, okay. was, it was kind of just displaying um, basic competency, I think. Right. Uh, of course, my first yoga training was a little different. It was more of a one-to-one situation over a period of months. Like so an apprenticeship, like, I guess. Like an, More like an apprenticeship. But generally, you know, especially at larger schools where they have a cohort of, you know, 20 or 30 people coming through. Right. They're not rigorously testing competencies. Uh, and yeah, that's something yeah. that you actually had to do to get accredited with uh, these astrological uh, organizations is I think what, one of your tests was, what, six hours or something like that? Yeah, the one at um, the astrology conference I mentioned was like, um, yeah, it was like a, they give you six hours to do the test, and you're tested on a whole bunch of things. Um, you know, multiple choice, uh, long answer, and then all a whole bunch of different chart delineations or chart studies. You had to be able to get all that in in six hours. But then there were all sorts of things that I had to be able to display to them to even qualify to write the test. They either wanted to see that I studied with a school that they recognized um, as having a good good standards um, or that I had a certain amount of self-study uh, and that there was um, professional astrologers that could verify that to them. So I was able to, to present that information to them so that I could qualify to write the test. And that was a minimum of 10 years of study so on you, your own. Before you could even write the test, you had to qualify to write the test. Yeah. So it's not a matter of showing up, paying the no. money, writing a two-hour test and no. getting your certificate. They well, want to make sure that you are um, up to a certain a standard in competency and understanding to qualify. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think that that lends that accreditation a lot of value. Mm-hmm. Whereas a, a typical yoga alliance, 200-hour training, it doesn't have that same kind of rigor, and I think it doesn't carry as much weight because of that. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. Okay, so going back to the ethical code of conduct, yeah. can you give us an idea of what that looks like and, and what kind of restraints are put on the, what do you say, 
client astrologer relationship yeah. or client counselor or client, you know? I think they would probably say client astrologer relationship. Okay. Um, astrologer is the preferred term for what it is that we do. <laughs> yeah. So that's accurate. Um, yeah, like that was mandatory. You had to take um, an ethics course and then you had to write a test. And then, of course, the consulting skills course was, was just like three-day um, uh, learning how to use like language. Okay, so the ethical guidelines I think that they want you to follow is like, um, you know, I have all that paperwork in the other room. I kind of read all this stuff. But anyway, let me see if I can remember. I'm testing you again. I should be able to remember. Okay, what I want to so know I can be ethical. is, okay, confidentiality. I'm sure it's yes, covered. Yes, 100%. 100%. You don't talk to people about someone's chart without their permission. So say if you're a teacher and someone's got a really interesting uh, example uh, a client that you studied, you have to get a, uh, permission from them to use their chart data, and you would probably present it in your class anonymously. Uh, you know, you're not going to go to coffee and, like, tell people about, oh, I read so-and-so's chart, and it's like this and like that. Like, you don't you do not do that. Right, so that's very similar to other um, therapy ethical guidelines. Uh, another issue that comes up, in thinking about this is sexual relations between uh, uh-huh. astrologer and client. Is that something that's covered? Yeah, I remember we did talk about that. And definitely you're not to be abusing or exploiting any perceived like power differential between you as the trusted uh, consultant and uh, the client that could be actually coming to you in quite a emotionally vulnerable uh, state. So I remember we talked about that. Um, you know, you're not to be using suggestive language. You're not to be, um, using sexual like advances or harassment. Um, you know, I think, I think because an astrology reading, um, even though it does have like a very counseling psychological component to it and a lot of astrologers are trained in other psychological or counseling uh, practices that they can blend with their astrology practice so because astrology just in itself maybe doesn't it does bring out a lot of like really deep and potent emotional things in the practice but it's not necessarily seen as something like um that has that same level of like right. responsibility. It's, I think it's there's not, a it's little... not therapy. It's not counseling. Right. I think, but that... you're still getting into a lot of these same yeah. areas, like very yeah. personal things. And that can um, make someone vulnerable and uh, yeah, that can be used to manipulate someone. Uh, if the astrologer yeah. isn't holding themselves to a certain ethical standard. And so right. if if something happens between the client and the astrologer, mm-hmm. is there a system of reportage to the governing bodies? I believe so. I believe that people can um, contact um, the accrediting body associated with that astrologer and report them. And I'm certain that um, 
you know, they would disassociate or themselves from that astrologer and not, yeah. And I can't remember exactly what the whole protocol would be in that regard, but. Okay. Well, I guess what I'm getting at is just trying to. Like it's understood that if you are going to be someone's consultant, that personal relationship agendas should not cross streams with that and that one needs to cancel out the other right so they're they're um they're uh like this whole idea of having dual relationships so being someone's consultant as well as their friend that's frowned upon in astrology well i think that you could have like a friendly connection and you could certainly read charts for people that you're friends with um I'm just thinking like if it just escalated into you know more romantic or physical sphere um I've heard stories about uh astrologers they would not see that person as a client anymore that would um end okay, but that's maybe more of a personal choice, yeah, I think so, and I don't think that that's something that's um yeah, I don't think that that's something that's um, encouraged for people to do because, like, you open up someone's chart and you open up someone's life and you can really get sort of, like, deep into all kinds of things. And then to leverage off of that to try and pro- proposition someone, I mean, just for my own comfort level, I think that that's, that for me is a no-go. Yeah. Good, because... <laughs> You're married to me, so I'm glad we got that clear. That was and if all, I was that associate, was all for me, just right, knowing that okay. you're, you've got some boundaries <laughs> when you're working with people. And I think if I were to witness some colleagues engaging in something that I felt was crossing a line, I I would want to. Okay, I'm just kind of interested counsel. in all of that in in the regulation and the accreditation process because, uh, you know, I, I've been fairly ignorant of astrology throughout my life and I'm learning more and more as you bring it more and more into our life. Yeah. And I'm, I'm starting to understand that this is kind of a serious thing. You know, it's a lot more (laughs) than just the horoscope at the back of the alternative weekly. Yes. Um, that there's a, a lot to it and that many people around the world throughout time have taken it very seriously. Yeah. Uh, people schedule certain events of their life based on astrology. Yeah. And I've heard that world leaders to this day even consult, consult astrologers before making big decisions. Oh, yeah. And there was a whole um, um, branch or... Um, like, uh, what is the word? There's a whole, like, category at the conference for um, business astrology, financial astrology, corporate astrology. And some of the talks that I heard, I was just, like, blown away that, like, very, very high-level um, business people, you know, trading in millions of dollars, consult astrologers as to, you know, where to put their investments, the time with which to do so. So... I think by going to that conference, uh, tracks, that's the word that they use, different tracks for different applications of astrology and topics, I saw um, that astrology 
is alive and well, and it's very, very, very woven into all uh, facets of life. So even though that there's kind of like a mainstream sort of popular, poppy idea of astrology, is that astrology is alive and well and has been thriving um, in people's decision making, probably since the beginning. Yeah, I mean, and it one continues of the, today. One of the things that I, I notice, it seems like lately that astrology is having a kind of resurgence in the nouveau new age. So yeah. a lot of younger people who are into new age stuff are really into astrology and maybe on a more superficial level, I don't know, but I see mm. a lot of it on social media. Like mm-hmm. it's me too. You know, a part of it is just how my my news feeds are getting filtered by the algorithms. I'm getting right, all of like yeah. the spiritual new age stuff. <laughs> yeah, me so too. I don't know if it's really accurate or if it's just the way the algorithms are feeding me, but mm. um, it certainly looks like there's a lot of people really interested in astrology now. Oh yeah. And you know, now living with an accredited astrologer, you're it's te- upon you. <laughs> you're telling me about a lot of the controversy that comes up. Yeah, uh, yeah. So there's some backlash against astrology that it's a pseudoscience that it's complete rubbish. I saw on the BBC or something or in the Guardian they wrote an article about how astrology is not real science. It's mm, rubbish. It's not right. really based on anything. But I'm kind of interested in how astrology actually works. Like, how is it that the position of the planets on the day and time that we're born, how can that possibly affect our personality? I don't understand that connection. I don't know either, but it just does. Okay, well, let's maybe put it to a little test. Okay. So, you know me pretty well. Yes. And... I think I know myself fairly well, and I'm getting better and better at being objective. Mm -hmm. So I'm just wondering what a little mini reading for me might look like, and then we can kind of gauge the accuracy of it based on how well (laughs) I know myself and how well you know me, and try to be objective about it, try to be unbiased. And just give me an idea of how you would start to talk to someone about their sun sign and what that means for them. Hmm. Wow, that's interesting. Well, I guess... So don't give away my birthday. I'm keeping my age a secret, but... Okay. (laughs) But we can talk about, like, the time of year that you were Well, yeah, you can give away my, my birth date. Just don't give away the year. Right. But you can let people know. I'm kidding. I was born in 1974 on December 8th, and so I just turned 44. Oh, did you? <laughs> just gave it. Okay, well, that's kind of fun that you gave the birth date. I was only joking. I don't really care if people know how old I am. Okay. That's nice that you give the birth data, because if any um, budding astrologers are listening or any more experienced astrologers are listening, you know, they might be curious um, to do your chart because doing celebrity charts, this is a thing. Like notable people that are um, of interest to the public, people love to look at their charts and then go, oh, mm-hmm. Okay, so if anyone out there wants to do you my know. chart, 
It's December 8th, 1974. Yeah. You can plug in Niagara Falls, Ontario, Canada as the birthplace. That's close enough. Okay. And uh, what time was I born at? I don't even remember. Well, your mom says 12.58 p.m. EST. Okay. You've got all my birth data. Yep. Now, give it to me. Give it to me straight. Okay. Well, before I dive into your chart, I just want to make a distinction here. This is a point of uh, some misunderstanding about astrology. There's this idea that keeps cropping up, that it's one of these things that people use to say that, oh, look, astrologers, they don't know what they're doing. There's two ways that you can map out um, an astrology chart, two main ways. One of them is called the sidereal zodiac, and this is what... um, people in India use to map out an astrology chart. And what it does is it gives you an astrology chart based on where the sun's position is, how it lines up to the constellations that the signs were named for. So the chart that I'm about to read is the tropical zodiac and that this is mapped out according to the sun calculated um the equinoxes and the solstices so it's connecting the sun to the signs based on a seasonal division that doesn't necessarily line up with the constellations but it lines up with phases of seasons on earth so okay you've already lost me (laughs) i'm just putting it out there (laughs) i just want to know how (laughs) what that all means for me right okay (laughs) that's what we're all interested in right so the first thing you look at Um, is that you get a circular chart that is either hand-drawn with ancient methods or is computed by an astrology software program, and it's a circle. And this circle is like a 360 view of the sky above at the time of, well, in this case, Brian's birth. So the first thing I want to see is the point on the eastern horizon that was rising to get a sense of what your first impression and the first sort of archetypal filter, elemental filter through which you're going to rise to meet the world. Right. So th- when people say, what's your rising sign, this, this is what, is they're, what talking they're talking about? This is what they're talking about. Okay. Yeah. So on the eastern horizon, rising in the sky, was the sign Pisces. So that gives me my initial impression of you. Um, Pisces is a water sign. It's associated with being very dreamy, spiritually inclined, self-sacrificing, quite creative, maybe somewhat ethereal, not necessarily connected to really like um, rigid sense of time and space. The person tends to have a very like uh, nebulous sort of free-form approach to life. That sounds about right. Right. Now... Those are all kind of cool things. They are cool things. So, of course, I'm going to agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) It's also how I phrase it, too. Because that's kind of how I want to see myself. Um, You know, I think it is true. But are there also, like, negative aspects? And is that part of the reading? Like, do you decide where to put the focus for different people? Yeah, definitely. Um, Because I want it all. I want you to give me the negative aspects too because I want to see if those uh, resonate with who I think I am. Right. Well, I guess for me, like when I'm doing readings, I like to really lead with a positive, encouraging 
um, take on everything that I'm seeing. But often people are coming to me because they are having challenges. So if I just gloss over those challenges with super ultra positive language, it's not really showing up for what that person's really experiencing. So we need to talk to people about how uh, the signs have a really positive side to them, but they also have a sign side to them that could be um, negative if it's not balanced or harnessed well or integrated or understood by the individual. Mm. So it's like anything in life. Um, it could Everything could have a strength, but everything could also be a weakness. What could be medicine could also be poison if it's not handled with care and consciousness. Well, and I think, yeah, it's really only a negative if it's in your unconscious. Yeah. Right? The more that you're conscious of things, whether you perceive them as negative or challenging or whatever, mm-hmm. as long as they're in your consciousness, then you can actively work with them, right? So I want it all. Right. So is there anything in the rising sign that comes up that might be perceived as negative or challenging? Um, well, what I really quickly want to say is speak to what you're saying about bring things into conscious awareness so that you can work with it. I mean, astrology ever since the beginning of time has been the art of studying the light or the luminaries in our solar system, the sun being at the center the moon being the reflection of that. And then all of the planets are reflecting the light, the essential light of the sun. Hmm. So when we are studying someone's astrology chart, we're studying the story of light in that person's life. Joytish. Joytish. Hmm. So this is a really important thing. So, so there's, there's more emphasis on the light than there is maybe the, the shadow or negative well, it's Things. how the light, um, where does the light shine very brightly? Where is it sort of lost or muddied or muted? Where are areas that the light is having difficulty coming through because of certain blockages, barriers, karmas, these types of things? So there's a lot of correlation between um, opening up someone's conscious awareness to pieces of their chart so that they can feel more whole because you're literally bringing things to light so that people can understand um, what might seem like really disparate or out-of-reach parts of themselves, so they can bring it into conscious awareness. So this is just another one of these great arts that can really mm, work a lot like any other kind of therapy or practice. Yeah. So you told me a lot of um, really cool things that come up in my rising sign. With Pisces? Yeah, and... You know, I, I think those are things that have been a part of my life, those qualities or aspects of myself. But I can imagine that if I wasn't already so in tune with that, that that actually might be aspects of my shadow, that these might be parts of myself that I haven't been connected to and and nurturing. And so I'm just trying to put myself in mm-hmm. so maybe mm-hmm. someone else's shoes um, and maybe even at an earlier time in my life where I was neglecting those aspects of myself, mm-hmm. to hear that would resonate with me, some part of me, and maybe inspire me to yeah. bring them more into my life actively, those aspects. Because yeah. they're all aspects that I really love. Like yeah. That's like the juice of life to me is to be involved in um, those 
Piscean aspects. Right. Well, I'm coming from, you know, a bit of a yogic background with this idea that, you know, in our essence, we're already, you know, whole. Um, but some things have happened along the way to sort of cloud our perception and actual experience of that wholeness. So when going into the chart, um, we can like talk about this and, um, now I feel like I'm drifting off track a little bit because okay, so I'm like thinking about Pisces and my well, thoughts we started, are getting nebulous. <laughs> we started with the rising sign, so that's something I hear. Yeah, uh, that's kind of like the second question. The first one is, "What's your sun sign?" So, what's my sun sign, and why didn't you start there? Oh, oh I know what I was about to say was that um, I, leading with some positivity about how I frame all of the um, qualities that I find in someone's chart is coming around understanding that by getting to this chart, you're not only are you going to get to know yourself better, but you're going to have some reunion or some reclaiming of a part of you that maybe you forgot or you didn't know was there for you to claim. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason why I would look to the rising sign first is because when you're drawing out a chart, the rising sign point is the uh, beginning. And it's from that rising sign point that you draw out the entire circle, that you complete the 360 story of uh, the birth chart. And then you can know where everything is falling mathematically inside that chart. If I don't know what time you're born, I don't know what if you were born in a Piscean hour or if you were born in a Taurus hour. So I don't know how to actually draw up your chart uh, accurately. So I can't know really important things. I can only know really general things about anybody that was born that day, that year. Right, so more information regarding your birth time and place the more detail you can get into. Yeah, it can give you an actual um, precise chart. Okay, so you didn't actually mention my sun sign yet. Not yet. So but you always start with the rising sign? I do. I start with the rising sign, then I can um, map out the entire chart, get the lay of the land. Um, I know, um, and the, the rising sign gives me a sense of the rising sign's connected to, uh, traditionally it's connected to your body and your constitution. It's going to give me some clues as to what your general appearance might be like, what your body in general might be like. So okay, it's given that's interesting because we can shell. actually like really see how accurate it is because my body is my body. You know, <laughs> my personality is maybe something that's more uh, nebulous and fluid or prone to misperception or yeah. inflation, right? Or nature versus nurture. But my body is my body and, uh, you know, this it's truth. So what would that say about my body? Well, it's a mutable water sign. So we could expect, um, you know, and again, the other planetary placements really totally flesh out like, who you are and then there's all sorts of unknown factors that I can't account for entirely in the chart pardon me um but the general idea of the Pisces rising person is that they're going to have very large dreamy eyes Hmm. and that you look into those eyes and you get a little bit of another worldly experience like Osho eyes (laughs) yes I wonder (laughs) if Osho yeah Pisces is associated with dreams um visions uh illusion and delusion so that's the other side of Pisces is that it can be mystic but it can also be mystifying and it Mm. can um, fall prey to 
illusions and not seeing things clearly because it can get lost in sort of a hall of mirrors or a dream state. Hmm. So yeah, Pisces is really dreamy. Pisces is really watery. Pisces is like a very, I think it was considered one of the like fertile signs. So the skin would be soft. The face would be kind of, you know, um, very hydrated and fleshy looking. The eyes would be really dreamy. Um, traditionally Pisces is associated with the planet Jupiter. So there'd be something kind of like jovial and expansive. These are sort of Jupiterian qualities. Wait, uh, are you calling me fat? (laughs) (laughs) A Pisces person could have some fleshy quality to them. Not necessarily fat, but they would be like, um, juicy. Yeah. Maybe juicy, (laughs) kind of soft and, um, yeah. Undulating maybe. Hmm. <laughs> I remember that Judith uh, Judith Hill is a medical astrologer. She's written a lot of really great books, and she had I have this one book called Astrology Body Types by her. With all these really really cute, somewhat naive little illustrations in them. And when we turned to the Pisces page, it was literally a picture of Brian. It was a little man with a yoga tank top and beads and long curly hair. And I was like, oh my god, nailed it. All right, anyway, there's, there's something to it. There's, I'm telling you, over 20 years of obsession, there's everything to it. Okay. All right. So the rising sign, it gives me my first impression, a little bit of the constitution. And I feel like my, my interpretation of the rising sign is like, I have this idea that there's like spirit, this unified universal field of energy that's sort of like the vital force of life. And then how that manifests on earth in material. Um, so there's spirit and then there's matter. But then there's the individual soul of the person. And I feel like the rising sign displays the intersection of spirit and matter to produce a new soul. So there's something in that archetype of your rising sign that's going to give a bit of uh, like soul impression of you, like what your soul's path might be colored by, what themes might um, might you be engaging in with your sense of direction, your sense of purpose. Hmm. If okay. that makes sense. Yeah. So then, then what? Where do you go from there? Well, the rising sign gives me all of that, everything that I mentioned, and... So if someone comes to you, and I mean, this is something that I, I hear quite a bit, is people are looking for their soul's purpose, what they're meant to do in this lifetime. Um, I think a lot of people are seeking that. And so that's where you would start to look, maybe, is in their rising sign? Yeah, I think that's where I would first look, for all the reasons I mentioned. It sort of gives me, like I see like this, you know, the wheel of the zodiac, it's kind of spinning and you know we may be reincarnated beings i'm not certain but i kind of like playing around with that idea it's sort of like where in the wheel of the zodiac which has 12 phases of the soul's evolution or the soul's journey through life where in that part of the story are you jumping in like where on the wheel are you jumping in to start spinning and turning in the great cycle of your life and your story and with you jumping in um, on the 12th sign of the zodiac, the sign of Pisces, which is associated with the sort of highest 
spiritual development. It's almost like the last stop on the the spinning globe of matter before Wait one ascends. Is this next stop enlightenment for me? Maybe. Is this my last incarnation? Oh my Maybe. God. Maybe. I, I got some serious work to do. But, you know. I'm like, speaking with very general themes no, no, no. here. I think you're quite accurate in that. Um, <laughs> you were also born at the balsamic moon. This means something too. But uh, there's something that feels really true to me about that because. I've talked about this on the podcast, you know, when I was a little kid, I was always into like spiritual and esoteric stuff. Yeah. You know, I was like lucid dreaming when I was six years old yeah, and it's amazing. doing all this kind of thing without any exposure to it. Like I didn't grow up in a new age household at all. Um, yeah. and yet it was there. So something about that feels really true to me. Like it's those qualities and aspects have always been there. And I've just come into them more and more as I get older and start to trust those inclinations and allow myself to be led by them into uh, less and less employability, it seems, but (laughs) more and more (laughs) happiness and contentment. Right. Yeah, because you're not necessarily in conflict with that. You're like um, flowing with it. I mean, one of the the symbols of um, Pisces is the two fishes flowing um, and swimming in two dual directions. So hmm. I'll just lay like that very, symbol on you. Yeah, very yogic symbol, right? Yeah, you can let that sink in. Okay. So, great. Soul's purpose. And then where do you start to look on the chart next if you want to flesh it out for someone? So now uh, I would go to the sun. Um, where the sun was um, at the time of your birth. The sun is associated with um, life, vital energy. Uh, The body system that the sun is associated with is like um, the pumping cardiac heart um, and the circulatory system. So it's how you would, um, sort of like what energy is available to you. How do you express um, your energy energy? you're, how are you shining on or, or enacting on uh, the world? And like what through archetypal uh, filter is your vital force, your radiant energy as a, an alive person? Like how is, what is that filtering through? Hmm. And um, because you were born on December 8th in the Northern Hemisphere, you were born in the tropical sign of Sagittarius. So Sagittarius is a fire sign, also traditionally ruled by Jupiter. Um, the traditional uh, rulerships of planets and signs, um, a lot of the planets held rulership over two uh, signs. So in your case, I get a double dose of Jupiter. Your Jupiter ruled in your rising sign, and then Jupiter is taking on another fiery sort of form through Sagittarius in your sun sign. So Jupiter is like the guru planet. Jupiter is um, associated with our highest spiritual aspirations, luck, benevolence, expansion, opening into opportunity. Um, and Jupiter in the traditions is considered the, the greater or the great benefic because it's like one of the brightest uh, shining planets in the sky. It really shines a lot of the sun's uh, light. So it's seen as a very lucky planet. And also very gassy. Well, it's a huge gaseous ball, as we now I know. Be, I can get quite gassy. You're pretty burpy. I have uh, <laughs> a 
very sensitive <laughs> digestion. And I wasn't sure if that was like a Sagittarian thing. Like if Sagittarius people, they're fiery. Um, so they have healthy appetites for adventure and the pleasures of life. Um, Too much. So, maybe. so maybe just <laughs> eat, eating really quickly. <laughs> I don't know. Eating really quickly to go do something crazy. Yeah. Being in motion. But um, yeah. So Jupiter, gassy, <laughs> full of hot air. <laughs> Well, that's another thing if we're going to talk about. I want you like to give it to me cool. straight. I don't want just okay. all the positive, cool stuff. Okay, well, I'll tell you a little bit about... But um, I like the thing about the guru. Sag. Yeah, <laughs> I thought you'd like that. Got to grow into that one, maybe. So Sagittarius is um is a fire sign. And there's these modes, these three modes that the signs operate through. And they all the different... Um, elements take turns operating through the different modes... So your rising sign Pisces is the mutable uh, mode of water. And that's um, the essence of, of the element of water um, operating in a mutable way, which is very changeable and very adaptable. So people that have a lot of mutable mode in their chart have no problem making changes, but they might have challenges sticking, sticking with things. They have no problem adapting to their environment and flowing around things. Um, but when it comes to maybe starting projects firmly or mm, sticking to really strong routines, they have to really work on building that for themselves is an example of how that mode could play out. So then you get another dose of this mutable uh, mode with Sagittarius, but this time in uh, the element of fire. So fiery, um, but mutable. So the things that we associate with fire, I think... It's pretty universally understood, really um, passionate, enthusiastic, maybe somewhat impulsive. Um, and then filtering through the mutable mode, it's, it's passion and enthusiasm that can, can flow and adapt and change. Um, Sagittarius is like the last sign of the autumn season. So the last sign of every season of the year is the mutable mode because the mutable mode comes to take apart and dismantle the architecture of the former season. It's like autumn's coming to an end, winter is about to arrive. So Sagittarius and its mutability comes along and sort of starts to take everything apart. It's like the winds of change blowing through. So the personality type associated with Sagittarius is all of those things, enthusiastic, optimistic, jovial, as in Jove or Jupiter, um, you know, but because Jupiter is really like big and expansive and, um, you know, really optimistic and enthusiastic, it can also be a little bit like bombastic and can a little, a little be, too much sometimes. Can be like a whole lot of Jupiter, <laughs> and it can also be associated with arrogance, where Sagittarian, um, the Sagittarian personality type is kind of like they're going to tell you exactly what they think. And they're not going to mince their words. Even the thing that you kept saying, give it to me straight. It's like, I think that's a pretty big Sagittarian thing. But the thing that's interesting about it is because they're so into the mutable mode, it's like, give it to me straight. These are my convictions. I'm going to tell you everything, whether you like to hear it or not. And you'll say it with such indignation or such conviction sometimes. But the next week, you could have a completely different opinion that you've adapted into that you'll defend just as strongly. Yeah, I think that's something that 
Um, I've definitely, I don't know if I've consciously tempered that tendency. It's (laughs) something that I was more prone to when I was younger. Yeah. And looking back, it makes me cringe to remember all the silly arguments I would have with people and how vehemently (laughs) I would defend some position that looking back, I'm like, God, why did you waste so much energy doing that? But I think I got a lot of juice out of just being in that, um, that argumentative mode yeah. or debating mode stokes the fire. Like I don't even think I really cared so much about the position, but it was just the yeah the energy of the exchange and yeah. getting really heated and and kind of feeding off other people who are like that too. Like I yeah. remember my friends from ten or fifteen years ago, we would get into these like great fiery debates about stuff, and it was just a lot of fun. <laughs> But I don't, I don't yeah. know if I cared so much about anything that we were arguing about particularly. It was just more the energy of the argument. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. And I'd say that's pretty consistent with um, the archetype. I mean, there's this thing about it, like the Sagittarian archetype. It's like, it's associated uh, with study of other cultures, study of other like religions and philosophies, like a questing, traveling, seeking, because there's a hunger to sort of understand what is sort of like the unifying truth behind everything that seems to be different. You know, the centaur is going to like gallop all over the earth searching for all of these answers. And just even this idea of like getting into debate for the sheer exercise of seeing not so much the facts that we're sifting through and weighing, but what is the principle behind what propels people to debate at all? And even being interested in the different ways that the people would come forth and be sort of watching that and observing that and taking in um, a sense of, I don't know, almost like practicing their worldview or getting a sense of maybe that like perennial philosophy. Like what's the unifying truth behind it all? So there's a lot of avenues into that. Well, that's something I've definitely become more and more interested in. Um, I don't think when I was in more debating argument mode that I ever considered that consciously or anything. But But um, unconsciously, there could have been some, you know, uh, deep sort of urge that had you in that activity in the first place. Well, you know, I mean, um, when you're in a debate with someone like that, there is a lot of connection like both people are really engaged in that discussion, debate, argument, whatever. Yeah. And there's something uh, I think that I was seeking out, especially at that time. Yeah. And I didn't care so much how I got it, but I was just looking for deeper connection. And breakthroughs or breaking through to the other side, maybe. Just really being with people. Yeah, Um, interesting. And I, I think I don't... I don't think I was so choosy as to how that happened. Uh, and now I look for a deeper connection that isn't based in disagreement. Right. Although uh, disagreement doesn't really bother me. But, uh, yeah, I think I'm just looking for more kind of like nourishing connection. But back mm-hmm. then I was just looking for connection. Mm-hmm. And it was easier to find maybe in those kind of fiery connections you know, where we're clashing heads and, and uh, trying out modes of argument and kind of like flexing our brains to each other or something, you know? Would, you, <laughs> would it be fair to say that there's something evocative in that type of exchange or connection because 
there was maybe something cathartic or there was something transformative in that ordeal. Maybe not how you would have put it at the time. Well, I mean, there's an intensity, that kind of connection, and I do love intensity. Mm. Um, Your Mars is in Scorpio, so you would. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think when I was younger, there, there's probably some element to it of individuation, like mm. trying mm-hmm. on these different viewpoints and um, seeing what it feels like to argue a certain point of view. Um, something in that, I think, in just uh, ego development and trying to figure out actually like where you do stand on certain things and kind of like little kids trying out new stuff. You know? Yeah, um, yeah. So, okay. Um, I don't want to get too detailed into all this. I don't know how interesting this will be to anybody else. Do you think astrologers listening, regardless of my specifics, do you think they'll be interested to hear this kind of conversation? Yeah, I know some astrologers I think that would really enjoy this. For okay. sure. Because I, I just can't imagine anyone finding it that interesting. <laughs> but well, you have no idea the level that we can get into this stuff. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, think it, I think it's pretty rich. And I should add, too, that this um, way, this dialoguing around what the archetype means to my client and like how this actually presents in their life, that's something that's really personally interesting to me, like, I really invite people to report on their experience and how these things have come to play in their life. You know, everyone's the authority of their experience. I'm not going to tell you who you are and how this is going to play out. But I can be here to uh, affirm and confirm some things that we can both witness as pretty uncanny when uh, connected to these, to an astrology reading. Yeah, and I think this gets to... Um, what I was thinking about when um, I was talking about some of the backlash that's happened as astrology has gotten more popular, you know, people saying that it's a pseudoscience, that it's not based on anything real and all that. And I don't think it actually matters because astrology like, um, like tarot, you know, I've been playing around with the tarot. Yeah. And, you know, it's not always accurate to what's going on in my life. You know, and even if, if I try to really stretch for it, it's like, no, okay, it's not really super relevant. Yeah. But the thing that I do value, regardless of how kind of divinatory it is, is that it's an opportunity or a provocation to reflect on what's happening in my life. Yeah, it um, opens up that space. Yeah, it's it's a conscious opening up of space to do some self-reflection. And I mm-hmm. think there's value in that regardless of the the modality that you're using, you know? Like yeah. in yoga we call it svadhyaya and you might use the yoga sutra or another text. You know, you sit down, you read a passage, you think about how it's relevant to your life. And so it's a cause for self-reflection and self-examination yeah. so that you can better understand yourself. Um, and astrology kind of feels like that to me, like regardless oh, yeah. of the scientific validity of any of it, it just feels like it's opening up a space to start to explore yourself. And I love the way this happens with the consultant. It, it feels much different than when I've read something about my sign in a book, you know, 
because you're drawing out a lot more and there's this element of the archetypes and things that I never knew were involved before. Right. Um, so it feels quite rich. And oh, it, it feels really rich for me too. And it's a huge impetus as to why I guess I've come out as a professional astrologer is because astrology is so wildly popular and there's just scads of information on the internet. And I know um, just by my daily conversations that people are navigating that information and because they're looking for something, they're looking for some meaning, they're looking for some context, they're looking for some help. But there's something about this dialogue, this of astrological consultation, opening up this space that's just for that client. And yeah, like certain things can really come through and I'm holding that space for the person to um, come to their own awareness and to come to their own conclusions about where they're going to go next, knowing that, you know, the answers are within. You just need to create dedicated space for that inquiry so that this can come forth. And we contend with these archetypes and symbols so that we can stretch into what those light up inside of us and um, trigger in our imagination or trigger in our insight. And I want to be here. I want to be present so that I can help people see how rich an actual astrological consultation and conversation can be, how helpful it can really be, more than just like reading the stuff on the internet. I mean, I create content, I write, I know a lot of great writers, and that writing can really help you. But there's something really special about the real time and space experience of having this exchange Yeah, well, I'm excited about. It, it's, it's fulfilling kind of two things for me. It's filling this longing to be connected to the greater whole, like to the cosmos. Um, it's fulfilling that, but then it's also fulfilling this need to be in relationship with with a person uh, mm, who mm-hmm. is, you know, engaged with me and and listening and curious and all of those kind of therapeutic qualities. Yeah. So it's working on both levels, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Do you um, want to do one more planetary placement in your chart? I kind of want to pull back on the bigger picture. Sure. And so I'm wondering if it's possible, like, could you look ahead to next year and give us a sense of what we all might expect from an astrological point of view? Like, is that something that you can do or does it have to be personal? Well, I mean, if I have somebody's birth chart, I can see how all of the planetary movements of the upcoming year are going to possibly impact that person specifically. So when people are reading about astrological transits like forecasts and horoscopes, it's giving like a general view as to how that could present in people's lives. But again, getting it, uh, a reading of some kind makes it much more uh, specific. Mm-hmm. So, but this is, this is done. I mean, this is what astrologers do. We get, do give general uh, forecasts for upcoming planetary movements because they do set a tone or a theme uh, for the collective. They have collective implications it's just depending on someone's birth chart, those collective uh, themes that are highlighted by the planetary movements, they might hit you more subjectively and they might kind of be background for another person. Okay. 
So let's start with like the general picture if we can, and then mm. maybe zoom in and then I can get my, um, my own more personalized forecast because um, I'm at a stage where there's kind of like a lot of things shifting in my life. And yeah. I'm feeling like I need to make some kind of big decisions. And, you know, mm. going back to what you were talking about earlier, this more uh, watery, hard to pin down, nebulous quality, that's been uh, a challenge for me. You know, I'm, I'm kind of like, I've dropped out of a lot of things in my life. Like mm. I've dropped out of a couple uh, college programs and, and other things. Mm. Um, specifically around like education has always been something that's been difficult for me to follow through with. And, and I think that has something to do with my, um, my challenges around uh, authority and kind of institutional structures and fitting in with all of that. Interesting, yeah. But I'm starting to feel like in order for me to go further in my career, I'll need to maybe get some, um, some accreditation myself. Right. And that, that will help open up some doors for me professionally as a yoga therapist and coach. Um, and so I'm starting to think about like some programs. And I got to tell you, it's like a little scary for me to imagine getting into a two-year program and, and following it through and making that commitment. That would be kind of a huge step for me. But I'm starting to feel more and more like it's going to be necessary in mm. order for me to go further following my soul's purpose. Yeah. So I'm kind of interested to see what next year uh, looks like for me. But let's start with the more general view, if you can, just give an idea of uh, what we might expect in maybe like the next six months or something. Well, there's a lot of uh, planetary movements and things coming up in the next six months. But I think if somebody were to talk to me about this, the first thing that I would want to talk about is Jupiter and its movement. And Jupiter has just recently come home to its home sign of Sagittarius. It takes about 12 years for Jupiter to make its way all the way around uh, the sun and um make its way through all of the signs of the zodiac it stays in each sign of the zodiac for roughly a year it retrogrades um back and forth in that sign once so this is a big deal this is a big um homecoming uh for jupiter jupiter is in its home sign so when a planet is in its own sign um it it's energetic quality and sort of like the way that it's transmitting light and having an energetic uh, influence and uh, synchronicity with events on the planet, um, it can be, it's really undiluted. It's really, really powerful. It's like a planetary signature that's perfectly in phase with an archetype um, that uh, it works with very neatly. So Jupiter is in its own sign of Sagittarius. So everybody... um, is experiencing this in some way uh, in their chart. There's houses in your chart. The chart not only has planets and signs, but it's divided into 12 houses. And each house has a mm, it like represents a certain area of your life that that planet is bringing uh, focus and energy to. Okay, so that's going to be different for each individual person. Yeah. But like right now, Jupiter energy is pretty potent for everyone. It's very potent for everyone. Depending on the person's uh, chart, um, it's going to be in a different house or different uh, area of life. So when Jupiter 
is in a sign, and now that it's in its own sign, it's coming back around after 12 years to expand and grow something that might have uh, been in motion like 12 years ago. Like if people can think back to 2006, 2007, anything that was kind of going on in the person's life around that time, Jupiter's come around to kind of pick up the threads of that story and expand and grow and develop uh, those themes further. Um, hmm. So it's interesting that you say that you're considering um, education as it relates to your career and making a commitment on that and contending with um, themes of grappling with authority or the restriction of that um, because Jupiter is in your 10th house of career and public presence um, and Jupiter, as I mentioned before, is a, is a guru planet. It's associated with teachers or teachings. So um, it's a big year, I would say, for Jupiter energy to express itself toward um, teaching or learning that you're taking on in your career aspiration, just to speak really generally about it. Well, that feels pretty specific because that's exactly what I'm thinking about is getting into a program for the next year or two uh, so working with a teacher mm-hmm. to help me in my career aspect. Yeah, and that there's something transformative. It's like this big Jupiterian, Sagittarius, bodacious, expansive energy that wants to open up and grow um, this area of your life. In your case, it's your 10th house of public presence and career uh, expression. And the 10th house is associated with authority, how we display our authority out in the public? How do people engage with us and our authority when we're operating out in the public sphere? That's so It's connected also to, um, like, the father, which maybe the father in our family was the first person that we um, experienced the phenomena of authority, and it sort of set up uh, an imprint of how we interface with authority that we carry for the rest of our life that we'll take apart and rewrite for ourselves at some point. But anyway. Okay, so how, that's long, how, how long, uh, long does that last? Well, that'll be going on uh, most of the year. Hmm. Jupiter is going to go retrograde um, from, I think, April 10th to August 11th, meaning that it's going to seem to move backwards in the sky, so it's going to make it last in Sagittarius um, a lot longer. Um, so we get like an extra helping of... You get extra helping of... of uh, Jupiter. Jupiter and Sag, yeah. So um, planets, when they go retrograde, now that's the phenomena of a planet in its apparent motion. It's appearing to move backward in the sky from our vantage point on Earth because of um, our orbit and the uh, trajectory of the planet kind of coming out of, in and out of phase. So, right. You tried to explain this to me before. And it, the <laughs> thing language that, falls apart on it a little well, bit. The I'm thing sorry. That, the image that I thought of is when you're, you're in a train yeah. and you come into the train station and one train is slowing down, the other one's speeding up. So yeah. they're moving in the same direction, but they're moving at different speeds. Exactly. And you can have this weird, uncanny feeling like you're actually moving backwards. Yes. Um, and I've had that happen actually when I'm driving on right. the highway, you know, probably after driving for too long. And it's it's a pretty trippy feeling. Yeah. You feel like the world's just turned upside down or something. Right. You know, like the laws of physics have changed. 
So that's actually what's going on. It's the planet isn't moving backwards. It just appears to be from our perspective. Exactly. And that's interesting, the language you're using, that uncanny feeling, because hmm, when a planet is on its like uh, direct course, its energetic uh, influence and its activity, um, it's pretty, it's like undiluted and and direct and it it does what it does and it manifests in an outward um, sort of way in our in our life or in the collective but when it's a time of it going backward or retrograde it sort of takes that energy and it turns it around and kind of subverts it and puts it into sort of an introspective uh place so if you're making progress on something in the nature of like jupiterian growth when it's going retrograde it's a time where that growth is going to turn around and there's something you kind of got to go back and revisit and pause on and redo and prepare more personally and project uh, subjectively before um, you're ready to proceed with the direct motion oh, of I can see it the coming. activity. So this is what's going to happen. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll start a program in the new year, and then about nine months in, I'll start to like second guess it. No, 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 no. <laughs> and then that's when I would like historically drop out. Like, right. Ah, no, it's not the right thing. You know, and I'd kind of drop that thread. And maybe regret it later, uh, which is something that's happened. But maybe um, you'll have a turnaround and you will stick with it. Yeah. I, and I think like just being able to uh, like foresee that or anticipate that, I'll, I'll be able to like get myself ready for that moment when I start to feel the self-doubt or second-guessing creep in. Yeah. And uh, you think at that time like that's a valid... Um, way it could kind of reassessment or should you just like okay you're gonna feel this thing Mm. but it's not truth it's like when when the trains are moving at different speeds it looks like one is moving backwards or it feels like you're moving backwards but that's not actually what's happening don't panic and jump off the train (laughs) yeah exactly that's right and that's what's really valuable about astrological um transit work like you know, you can think about like, oh, we're going to track the planets and we're going to make all these spooky predictions. And I mean, in the old world, yeah, maybe they would do more fatalistic things with this. But this is this is exactly what can be helpful is that I can tell you that there's going to be a season coming where Jupiter in progress, there's going to be a time where that turns around and you might have some delays that you've got to kind of like work with and come into phase with and use that as an opportunity to not frustrate yourself by pushing ahead toward it as what you think you you should be doing. It could even be something like you're all set to sign up for a certain uh, program, but maybe there's going to be a pause and a turnaround and you're going to re-examine the reasons why you're getting into um, the school that you're getting into and checking in with yourself in a more introverted sort of way just to make sure that you're in phase with the program that you checked in with, maybe you'll find another one. And maybe when it turns around, oh, it goes God. direct. Please, no, I want it to be... <laughs> well, I don't know. I We're just to, using examples I really as, hope it's more um, finding the right program and being able to follow through with it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I just... Yeah, yeah, God, yeah. I don't want to go through that old pattern again. No, that's fair. And I mean, like I said, there's just like a lot of different ways that um, this sort of thing could present. But those are some ideas. 
Okay. So everybody's going to be feeling the, the, the bigness of Jupiter this year, creating a lot of like luck and opportunity and growth in uh, certain areas of uh, your life, depending on what uh, house it might be moving through. Right, um, so what aspect of your life that that would affect right. is going to be different for everyone. And whether you're going to have an astrology reading or not, you could um, just sort of reflect on anything that's been kind of like opening up and really expanding your awareness and drawing your focus in. Um, people, I think, maybe intuitively can already kind of suss out um, where that Jupiter action's happening already. Okay. Um, we're getting close to the two hour mark Mm. so is there anything that feels like especially relevant to talk about next year in terms of the general forecast um well people might be relieved to know that venus and mars are not going to be going retrograde next year they did last year (laughs) and there was this whole chain of retrogrades like mars was retrograde in the summer and it was all intense and then um Venus went retrograde and Mercury went retrograde. It just seemed like everybody was retrograde and it was like really crazy. I saw this funny little quote someone put on Facebook the other day. They said, I think 2018 tried to kill us. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it was, uh, it was intense. So um, it's going to have its own intensity, 2019, but it won't be quite exactly like what happened uh, last year. Two planets will not be going retrograde. Um Uranus, the planet of change and innovation and disruption, dipped its toes into Taurus um, last spring, and then it went back Mm -hmm. into Aries. Um, So in March, um, Uranus is going to go back into Taurus, and it's going to stay there, and it um, will be in that sign. So it's going to be bringing the themes of like disruption, change, and innovation into um, the sign and archetype of uh, Taurus, which um, is really linked to like our material possessions and how we interface with um, matter and material and nourishment and personal security. When, so when's that happening? That's going to kick in um, in March, early March, and that'll be a theme all the way through um, uh, the year. So disruption um, in terms of material... Yeah. Possessions, Material, money, money um, personal resources, and uh, security as it relates to those things. And dis- disruption doesn't necessarily mean bad. I mean, if things have been going bad for you, a disruption might be welcome. Yeah, because <laughs> right? change sometimes... Um, change can be good. Change can be good. And change is really the only constant that I think we're aware of in this universe. So, but when you say disruption, I think generally there's a connotation that that's going to be a bad thing, but a disruption to a, uh, a negative pattern. Yeah. Anything that's maybe become be, stagnant or stale or, um, going to shake up the patterns. It's going to shake up the foundation. Materiality. Exactly. Okay. And that's a, a collective. <laughs> that's a collective theme. There's been a lot of like speculation about how that um, is um, connected to exactly like our world monetary systems and really getting. I think for me, it feels like it might be. It's a collective reexamination of maybe the way we're taking for granted how um, our material possessions, our sense of value, and monetary worth, and um, material security, how we're interacting with those things. And we're 
going to be more and more in the upcoming years because this is about a seven, eight-year cycle that Uranus has in a sign. We're going to be contending with this uh, quite a bit in a lot of different ways. Okay. Anything else that's uh, sticking out? Um, there's going to be some eclipses. In January 5th, there'll be a solar eclipse in Capricorn. There'll be a lunar eclipse on January 21st in uh, Leo. And then in the summer, there will be two more eclipses and an eclipse in December at the end of the year. And eclipses, um, solar and lunar, um, they typically are times of really like potent change and regeneration uh, cleansing, letting go of like old toxic patterns that are associated with the the signs and the the stories and the archetypes of these signs. Interesting. You said January fifth is the first one. Yeah, that's a, a solar eclipse in the sign of Capricorn. Okay, so I'm going to be in the Amazon. Yeah. Uh, tell me more about that one because that could be interesting. Well, Capricorn. Is it solar or lunar? It's solar, so. You know, the obscuration of the vital essence or the vital uh, light. So this is usually like a portent of something, you know, not particularly like wholesome in astrological tradition. Like people like to, like on the internet, talk about like cool witchy eclipses and stuff. But eclipses are, you know, there's something to be handled with care. I mean, the ancients didn't really want to go outside when they were happening they saw them as something potentially like malevolent if they were mishandled. So um, it's pointing at, um, it can be sort of like a death and a, and a regeneration of something in the theme of Capricorn, which is, which is associated with authority. Um, it's associated with uh, structure, um, durability, perseverance, um, structure in the sense of like the structure of the body, like Capricorn and, and it's, planetary uh, ruler Saturn is associated with the bones of our body, tradition, fatherhood, this type of thing. So it's like it's like a deep cleansing and regeneration of perhaps toxic uh, authority structures that maybe we've taken into ourselves um, internally. And I know that, um, well, you'll be doing a men's retreat. <laughs> They were talking about these things. We're doing a men's ayahuasca and plant medicine retreat. Yeah, so wow. There's going to be a lot of uh, purging and regeneration, I'm sure. Right. And I'm sure, yeah, those themes of uh, authority, especially patriarchal male authority. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like one of the big reasons why I felt inspired to do a men's only retreat is yeah. to help men shake some of that stuff so that they can... Uh, just be more well-rounded men when, mm-hmm. they, when they go back home. Um, so my yeah. gut is is that there could be something really cathartic about that time, um, a real nugget of something that needs to be cleansed and uh, let go of. Might um, There will be an opportunity to release that around that time, um, maybe in a ritual way, who knows? And, and for anyone else... Most likely in a ritual way. <laughs> right. And anyone else listening, like maybe that gives you some ideas as to how to handle yourself around that eclipse time. It can be nice to just go into retreat, into quietude, into reflection, if there's any really 
intensive emotional topics that are coming up around some of those themes I mentioned, um, you could sit with that. Don't charge your crystals. Don't try to capture any of the energy of the eclipse time. It's all about um, cleansing and releasing and letting go. Hmm. Okay, wow. That was uh, quite the journey we just went on. Yeah. And uh, I feel like these readings, I can see why you have trouble um, keeping your your time limits in check. Because it's like once you open up the portal... It yeah. goes deep. Yeah, it does. Um, it can. It gets downright Jupiterian. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really cool. Um, I hope that was informative and interesting to other people, but it was really good for me and uh, feels a little self-indulgent releasing this, but um, I wanted to give pe- people an idea of who you are and, mm. and what you do because I've seen uh, what going into astrology consultation has done for you and I've heard what it's done for some of our friends who have done consultations with you mm, and mm-hmm. I've come to see it as like a really valid kind of uh, guided self-inquiry and um, something that can be very therapeutic mm. and, and not just kind of like for entertainment but it's also that too it's just kind of fun and uh, kind of fun and, and self-indulgent in some ways but Self-indulgent, this conversation self-indulgent? No, just just like the astrology. Tell me about myself and my relationship to the stars, you know? It's it's just kind of fun. And there's something like navel-gazing about it, but I think that's okay. Potentially, there could be a reflex to look at it that way. But now that I'm seeing, like, oh, the responsibility of opening up with someone and into their life and seeing, you know, the sincerity that people are going into this uh, inquiry of themselves with. Uh, there's a lot here that's that's really rich and people are having a lot of intentions about wanting to, to, to grow and to really feel more fulfilled and authentic in their life. And yeah, it's good to indulge because it's good to nourish yourself and care for yourself and the way that you nourish and love yourself really gives you a lot of resource to do that for others. Yeah. What I'm getting at is that um, a lot of the way it, it seems to be presented in pop culture right now oh, okay, yeah. seems very self-indulgent and um, self-indulgent. And, <laughs> and just yeah, kind of, I understand. And I think I'm just saying that that's kind of just fun. Yeah. And yeah. That, that's totally cool like I love engaging with it in that way and like tell me yeah, more about myself yeah. like that's totally fun but it's valid it's also there's a lot more under the surface that I think is really valuable mm-hmm. and could be um, like just sincerely therapeutic for people especially when they get into a relationship with a caring astrologer mm-hmm. um, so I just think that's really cool and um, I, wanted, I wanted to do a podcast with you. This was a big year for me, starting the podcast back in May after thinking about doing one for many, many years. And uh, it's been a fun journey for me, and I thought it would be a great way to close the year, just finally doing one with you mm-hmm. and uh, calling on your divinatory skills to <laughs> help me figure my life out and what what next steps to take and... Uh, Maybe 
you know, spark some things for uh, for people to think about in the new year. Well, I hope so. And I'm really grateful to get to have this conversation with you. It's a wonderful opportunity because it was a pretty big year for me too. Like coming out <laughs> as a professional astrologer, you know, and I've really been going for it. And uh, a lot of doors have been opening and I'm just amazed. It's it's wonderful. Um so I hope to be having more more conversations like this, and I could even come back uh, if you'll have me. We <laughs> come could come back. Well, you're you're here all the time, uh, but, but come we, back into this particular time space yeah. that we've opened here. Yeah, it might be fun. Um, you know, if people enjoy it, then uh, definitely like a regular check in would be pretty cool. Uh, so I work on your website, so I know that it's modern-mystic.com. Yeah, and people can go there and learn about the different kinds of consultations that you offer, and um, you also are doing custom astrological portraits now. And I have one hanging up in my yoga room. Mm-hmm. You gave it to me as a birthday present. Yes, and uh, I think it's super cool. I love it, and you do those for other people as well. Yeah, we just put those in the online shop and. Yeah, and you're selling prints of some of the planetary paintings that you do. Yeah, currently and those are through uh, a little profile in Society6. Uh, but I think that at some point I'll probably just be making uh, my own prints and shipping those out. Yeah, I've just so been so busy, Jupiter, in my sixth house of day-to-day work, blowing up. Ah. Yeah, so you're doing a lot. <laughs> And people can go to the website to find out what you're up to. And you're going to be doing some workshops in the new year. Yeah, I've got some ideas. Um, All right. And then I don't know what else to say. Just if you're intrigued by what we talked about, you'd like to have a reading. They can be local here in Montreal or they can be online via Zoom conferencing. All the info is on the website. And I also have an Instagram, holistic underscore astrology, where you can see my forecasts and my artwork okay great well we're almost at two hours this is an epic podcast but uh it's kind of fitting that it's me and you having another kitchen floor conversation only now we're in on the yoga room floor yeah it's been great okay i'm tired we have to make some dinner all right let's go eat let's sign off (laughs) signing off (laughs) loved you all
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.